Everybody comes to a place where what they're doing doesn't work or I'm exhausted from trying to be healthy. We can't take something like supplements and diet to be a form of safety. An anti-inflammatory diet is practical and amazing, but that doesn't keep us safe. Our hearts keep us safe. When we become vulnerable enough to consider maybe I'm not all those things that I thought, it impacts our immune system and impacts all of the cells of our body. We still have our own personal magic fairy wand, which is I have the ability to love myself no matter what. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Friends, this is truly a beautiful, potentially life-changing episode. When I first heard an interview with Jessica, I had to get her on the show. I am so grateful she spent so much time with me today. If you at all struggle with any health issues or any anxieties and stressors in your life, and you feel like you're doing all the things, trying to control it, doing the diet, doing the supplements, doing the biohacks, and just something isn't working, I really think you'll find this episode really valuable. The show notes for this episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash loving diet. Those show notes will have a complete transcript, so definitely check that out. There will also be an episode giveaway for this episode. For that, just join my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods plus Life. Comment something you learned on the pinned post, which is under the announcements at the top of the group, to enter to win something I love. Speaking of Facebook groups, if you are at all a Lumen Lover, which is a breath analyzer that literally tells you if you're burning carbs or fat and helps you become more metabolically flexible, I'll put links in the show notes to the interview I had with the founder, as well as my $50 off code, but I formed a new Facebook group for it. That's how much I know you guys love Lumen and wanted to talk more about it, share your experiences. So you can join me there. It's called Lumen Lovers Biohack Your Carb and Fat Burning. One resource that I mentioned in this episode is the Apollo Neuro device. It's a wearable device that uses sound wave therapy to actually automatically instigate our feelings of safety in our body. It actually activates similar receptors activated by human touch, and it directly ties into our sense of safety and our limbic system. Basically, it's sort of like meditation or breath work with the touch of a button. I really think it's a supportive tool as we do move towards bringing back a sense of safety to our life, which is so key for healing. I'll put a link in the show notes to the episode I had with the founder. We dive deep into the science, but if you'd like to get your own Apollo Neuro, I cannot recommend it enough. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash Apollo Neuro and you automatically get 15% off. So that's incredible. Hi friends. Welcome back to the show. I have been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while, ever since I heard this guest actually on another podcast. I heard her on Well-Fed Women with Noelle Tarr and listening to that episode was so beautiful, so amazing, because I'm friends with Noelle, the host of that podcast, and I was literally texting her being like, I have to bring her on my show. Please introduce me. So I'm so grateful that that introduction was made and that I am now here with this fabulous human being. I think for the topic that we're going to talk about, I know, I mean, me included, a lot of my listeners, so many people struggle with chronic health issues, chronic 
disease, problems in their life, and are often turned to diet to address that, which obviously I am a huge proponent of the role of diet in our health. But at that same time, people often go on these diets, you know, be it paleo, autoimmune, whatever it may be. And oftentimes they see results in the beginning, but maybe they plateau. Maybe they don't get the final results they want. Maybe they get stuck there and are scared of coming off of the restrictive or the quote treatment diet. If there's a possibility that there's another factor involved and we're going to talk all about that. I'm just glowing right now. I'm so excited. So let me introduce today's guest. I'm here with Jessica Flanagan. She is the author of a book called The Loving Diet, Going Beyond Paleo into the Heart of What Ails You. This book is so beautiful. And I really, really think it taps into what really is the key, I think, for why so many people can't quite tackle their chronic health issues, their autoimmune issues, or feel like they're stuck in restrictive diets. So Jessica, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to be here, Melanie. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. (laughs) To start things off, by the way, for listeners, Jessica, she is a clinical nutritionist. She's also the co-founder of the Institute of Spiritual Coaching. And like I said, she's the author of The Loving Diet. But to start things off, Jessica, would you like to tell listeners a little bit about your personal story and what brought you to this idea of the loving diet, I know it's really interesting. Your your story doesn't necessarily involve chronic illness personally, but does involve something. So would you like to tell listeners a little bit about that? Well, suffering brought me to this path that I'm on. And I feel like suffering is one of those terms that applies to us in different ways in our life. And so for me, it was my marriage falling apart and losing everything, like losing my house, losing the life that I had lived, losing everything that was familiar to me, which is a process that a lot of people go through when they get diagnosed with a chronic illness. So I also happen to have an identical twin sister who has Hashimoto's and celiac, and I have lots of autoimmune disease in my family. So I have a my background of being a clinical nutritionist now for over 20 years, but then my own struggle really started when all of the options that I had built up that I thought would save me ended up not saving me when I really needed them, when I entered into suffering that I couldn't turn away from. I couldn't turn away from it because it was so great. And so I wrote The Loving Diet because those same principles that I use to help make sense of my suffering and to learn how to trust myself was really the biggest one and trust my heart. Turns out that those skills are really applicable for chronic health issues. Yeah, it's so incredible. And it's unique in a way because I feel like a lot of the authors that I read They do often come from having a chronic health issue and that's what inspires them. But I loved that you came from, like you said, this concept of suffering and what this emotional component does to our life and then being able to apply that to the people with chronic illness. And you talk about in your book, I'm I'm sure you still work with patients, right? Yes, I have a private practice. I run groups also. Yeah, so I do do that both. Yeah, so I just love that you are applying this aspect. I think so many people often brush it aside, the emotional component, or they don't think that it is playing such a big role in overcoming their health issues. So that's actually a question to get started with. So people with 
chronic health issues, especially things like autoimmune disease. Why do you think it is that some people can follow a diet, follow a protocol and get better from it (laughs) or, you know, it works for them. And then some people it doesn't, or they plateau or it just doesn't completely work. Is it because they're not doing it right? They're not doing it enough. What is that, that secret third ingredient that might be playing a factor? I think that there's a a kind of a two, two questions there. One is, is that not all lifestyles work for the same reason, because many people from a very genuine, open-hearted place want their lifestyles to save them and fix them. And we're, in a way, we're, we're more than that. So one is, is that we can't take something like supplements and diet to be a form of safety, the safety that humans are really looking for. So that's the first thing is, is that, and everybody will have a ceiling that they will reach. But the second question to that is, is that what we go through as humans, from my perspective, is here to awaken us to something. And so that's that's a different curriculum for each person, because every human is here to learn something that's unique and special and a gift for them. And illness is here to help us wake us up to something, as is all suffering. And so from my perspective, when we look at it from that point of view, it's like all the colors of the rainbow. You know, every, everybody gets to get exactly what they need to help them find what it is that's the nugget of gold in the bottom of sometimes that crappy pile. And so that's why, from my perspective, thank goodness that these lifestyles where we're doing a lot of fixing have a limit because then we get to go into the beautiful richness of what our hearts are trying to teach us. So one is, is that we can't take something like supplements and diet to be a form of safety, the safety that humans are really looking for. So that's the first thing is, is that, and everybody will have a ceiling that they will reach. But the second question to that is, is that what we go through as humans, from my perspective, is here to awaken us to something. And so that's, that's a different curriculum for each person. Because every human is here to learn something that's unique and special and a gift for them. And illness is here to help us wake us up to something, as is all suffering. And so from my perspective, when we look at it from that point of view, it's like all the colors of the rainbow. You know, every, everybody gets to get exactly what they need to help them find what it is that's the nugget of gold in the bottom of sometimes that crappy pile. And so that's why, from my perspective, thank goodness that these lifestyles where we're doing a lot of fixing have a limit because then we get to go into the beautiful richness of what our hearts are trying to teach us. And so maybe I simplified that a little bit, but, you know, from my perspective, that's the, the deeper work and the profound gift that everybody is here looking at. That is such a profound idea. The idea that it's almost good or thank goodness, like you said, that they have a limit. If they were the be all end all, if there was a dietary protocol or something that fixed everything, I guess we could get stuck in that. We would think that that is the goal and that is the end all. But because there is a limit, I'm just like 
thinking this out because there is a limit. We have to look beyond that to find, you know, the true meaning. And you talk in your book a lot about wholeness, for example. Actually, though, I wanted to touch. So you mentioned safety. And have you heard of the Apollo Neuro device by chance? No. It's a device that uses sound wave therapy. And I just had them on the podcast and they developed the device because sound wave therapy actually works like the role of human touch to stimulate feelings of safety in the body. And he was explaining the role between safety and fear and how safety was so key for for really everything, for healing, honestly, for everything. Because when there wasn't a sense of safety, we can't live in the present and we can't be in the moment and we can't make change and we just, you know, get stuck in this state of fear. So that was something that really, really resonated with me. And to that point, so I think when people often go on diets to address their health issues like autoimmune diets, or we can talk later about your specific, the manifestation of the loving diet, practically what it looks like for you and your patients. Like it's so complicated because I think we can go to these diets for safety because we think if we follow this diet, we'll be safe. But then at the same time, I think there's so much fear often because we think we have to eat certain foods, otherwise we're not safe or other foods aren't safe. So how can one feel safe in their food choices and safe around food? Food helps us be practical. And so that's where like, if we have a fantastic team of doctors, we have a wonderful anti-inflammatory diet. It's like we can be incredibly present and vigilant to practicality. So practicality is fantastic when we're dealing with how we want to take care of our bodies. But then when we look at the issue of safety, it tends to go a little bit deeper. And so many of your listeners who are tuning in right now, if let's say they've had something, think about the most difficult thing that ha- has happened to you. So maybe it might be a spouse dying. Maybe it might be the day they got a diagnosis to cancer or they got a diagnosis to an autoimmune disease. What often happens is the first thing that we do is we feel unsafe. And then the next question is, is how can I get safe again? And, and, and because we're, sometimes we're looking at our mortality. Sometimes we're looking at the loss of life as we know it. There, there might be a lot of grieving involved in that. And so what happens is, is that we're looking to get back into that center place of, you know, we get born on the planet and we, we, we have that wholeness that is intact, but then we go through life and we have lots of hard things happen to us and it makes us question our loving as a point of safety. And oftentimes when we have a big thing, what we might consider a personal catastrophe, you know, like our business going bankrupt or getting a diagnosis that we don't know if we're going to survive, that the first thing that happens is, is we go to someplace with our heart. I'm scared. I might have to say goodbye to the people I love. How am I going to get through this? I just want to be normal. And so then when we look at diet and supplements, those things can often be part, a very important part of the process. But what we're kind of bringing up here is consciousness work or these deeper questions about humanity and what our purpose is here. And in the simplest way I work on this with my own clients and my students is that reference point of safety is inside of our hearts, not outside. And so when we use supplements and diet to stay safe, then we are leaving that center place, our own compassion, our own heart center, and we're moving outside of it to find the safety. 
What I suggest is, is go do those things, get your plan set, but do it from a practical standpoint. Like an anti-inflammatory diet is like practical and amazing, but that doesn't keep us safe. Our hearts keep us safe. So from my perspective, whenever we have a hard thing happen to us, like eating disorders, diseases, personal hardships versus is what is this here to awaken me to? And what do I believe about my circumstances that's helping me understand what it's awakened me to? So to that question of wholeness and, you know, you speak about something that happens oftentimes, oftentimes there's like this inciting incident or some sort of traumatic event that I think often gets tied into our identity surrounding our, our health condition or whatever we're experiencing. So this idea of wholeness, is it like we're born whole and then do we stay whole? Okay. I'm, I'm just trying to get a grasp because you talk a lot in the book about how we are always whole and it is always in us, but then also everything is moving us and correct me if I'm wrong, but then also everything is moving us towards wholeness so what is this idea of wholeness? Like, are we always whole, but then we, we lose it and then we're going towards it? <laughs> the answer that makes the most sense to me that really spoke to me personally was healing isn't a process of adding. Healing isn't a process of adding. It's a process of undoing. And so that might make people's mind go a little bit wonky. But when you think about that, when we're born, we're born and we don't have to We don't have to accomplish anything to be whole because we're already born with everything we need. But see, then we go through life and something happens to us and we get knocked out of our center or most likely what happens is is we have something really difficult happen to us. Let's say just getting diagnosed with cancer. And what happens is we have something really scary happen and we question our own loving as a safety tool. Because it gets so scary, we have a scary thing happen, it kind of knocks us out. Like, wait, hold on. I have this really big thing happen to me. Am I going to be okay? Am I safe? Who's in charge? What does this mean about my mortality? And so we have a hard thing happen. We get knocked out of our center. We question if our hearts actually are here to do the job and can do the job. And then what happens is we assume a limited viewpoint about ourselves. And we do this often to make sense and get through difficulty. So for instance, here's a big one that I hear. It isn't safe to love or I have to work really hard because the harder I work, the farther I'm going to get. I have to not care about certain things. Like I have to, I have to put my needs aside in order to reach this bigger goal. These are common things that I hear. I have to try really hard to heal is probably the biggest one. And so these are the things that I hear over and over again. Those are limited viewpoints, but they're very common and almost all of us go through them. And what happens when is when we take on that viewpoint that's actually a limited viewpoint of ourself, we start holding it as truth. We actually develop a loyalty to it. And so then when we start going and finding our anti-inflammatory diet or the lifestyle that's going to help with our disease, then what happens is, is that we're, we're looking at it through the goggles of that limited viewpoint of it's not safe to love or my needs are important or I have to work hard to heal. And that, that new viewpoint becomes our new truth. And so when we start viewing reality from there, 
And so then from that piece, when we start looking at what you and I are talking about, healing is an adding process. It's a fixing process. I need to fix my cancer. I need to fix my autoimmune disease. And it becomes really subtle because we develop it as big words that don't seem like fixing, like lifestyle. And the key here is, is that when we've taken something practical like lifestyle and we're using it as safety rather than practicality, does that make sense? That does. I'm having so many epiphanies and mind blown moments right now. I love what you're saying about the difference between, I don't know if you actually said in these words, but this is what I was like seeing in my head. The difference between like looking forward and moving forward compared to looking back. Because so like when you're a kid, for example, and you maybe get a scraped knee or something like that's, you know, you're unhappy, you're crying. I mean, most kids aren't, you know, thinking days and days about how they scraped their knee, you know, a week ago and like thinking about it and having to fix it. And if they see, you know, maybe a scab form, they're not thinking over and over about how they still have to fix this, you know, thing that happened to them compared to maybe later in life, you get a diagnosis, you, you'd start, you develop, you know, something like SIBO. People often get, you know, identify with SIBO. Maybe you get a diagnosis with an autoimmune condition. Then all of a sudden it's like, it's such a backward looking mentality. Like you feel like you constantly have to fix this thing that happened to you rather than like look forward. I mean, I know like for me personally, I mean, I can put a date to it. I say that, you know, in 2014, I got food poisoning and then that's what started the SIBO diagnosis and then the GI issues. And it's this whole story and it just goes on and on. And I feel like I'm like constantly trying to fix this thing that happened to me rather than look forward. And that's really mind blowing what you said about how we use the word lifestyle to wow, (laughs) to um, like as a, as a, we do that to be safe rather than you know, look beyond that. I'm just having so many mind blown moments right now. It's a good point what you're saying too, because that loyalty that we start making a habit, the loyalty of our limited viewpoint then becomes, it taints how we do it. It's so it, so when we talk about, for instance, intuitive eating, when you have a loyalty to a viewpoint that's limiting about yourself, it's hard to intuitively eat because those limited viewpoints that we become loyal to, this is so subtle, by the way, is almost uh, programming in our subconscious as well. And so then what happened, and I'll give you an example for me. You know, I had a mom who didn't want to raise me. I had a, somewhat of a violent father. So when I reached adulthood, the way that I saw myself was, how am I going to fix my traumatic childhood? Jessica is trying to go out into the world and make sense of the world. And I'm a, a, you know, a traumatized person. So the past pushes us forward, usually, instead of the future pulling us forward. And what I'm suggesting here is, is that there's powerful medicine in being curious about how we shift that. Because it impacts our entire genetics, all of our genetics, it impacts our immune system, it impacts all of the cells of our body. When we become vulnerable enough to consider, maybe I'm not all those things that I thought. So if they've realized that maybe there was this trauma in the past or some sort of identity formed around their their current health state or whatever it may be, how do you reframe that? How do you... I don't know. Do you let go of it? Do you reframe it? Like, how do you practically (laughs) move forward? 
everybody comes to a place where what they're doing doesn't work. And or the place that I tend to work in is I'm exhausted from trying to be healthy. Like I'm bone tired, exhausted from trying to be healthy. And whenever I have a client come to me and say, say that, I was like, great. If you're because if you're exhausted enough, you're so tired that you're willing to give up your viewpoint. And most people don't even recognize that it's limited. They just recognize they're trying really hard. And so the first thing is, is to start a series of questions. So first is, is become curious. Oh gosh, I wonder what my relationship is to my autoimmune disease. What is my relationship to food? What is my relationship to how I develop my own healthcare plans? And so what happens is when we become curious, we move ourselves into a more neutral place. And when we're neutral, then the universe can provide us with a deeper curriculum. And one thing to think about this is, is that when, if we take a perspective that the universe is built on unconditional loving, then it can only support what we have allowed or promoted or created. And so when, for instance, we decide, you know what, I'm just going to get maybe curious to see if there's anything more that's not the exhausting path because I can't do exhaustion anymore. And exhaustion is when we, again, when we go outside of ourselves to stay safe. Like, oh, okay, I'm going to look at this more deeply. And so the first thing I do with my clients is I ask them to become curious and almost admire or appreciate how they have done such a fantastic job working on these things. And then what happens is, is they start discovering what it is that they believe, you know, through looking at the relationships that they have to healing or even like, you know, healing dogma. Wow. Okay. So and now I'm curious, all these different emotions that we might experience surrounding the disease or the diagnosis or the identity or the thought, because you speak in your book about how there aren't good or bad emotions. Like there's just, you know, all emotions. So say we are looking at our disease and we realize that we have different feelings about it. Anger, fear, worry, sadness, grief, are all of those okay to experience? And if so, how do we experience them without them being more exhausting to us? Oftentimes, because humans don't easily sit with discomfort, we have to just try it out. So for instance, if you feel really anxious or you feel angry, all of those feelings are a very natural part of being with our illness or being with our circumstances. But what we do is we take a different perspective, a broader perspective, which is those things are healthy and normal, and th- but they, they aren't defining who I am. Much like I feel anxious, but I'm not an anxious person. But what happens is, is that when we're working in this fix-it model, instead of the everything is here to awake me model, we're scared that if we start, if we, if we poke the bear and we poke that anxiety bear, that we're going to get stuck there. And so, so I spend a lot of time being with my clients, helping them understand that feeling those feelings and being with those feelings is incredibly healing and it actually moves you from one place into the next. And that the fear of getting stuck there is just a fear that we tend to not get stuck there. Now, when you're looking at those things through a big lens, which is I'm going to stay curious, we tend to not get stuck. Sometimes we do get stuck. For instance, like when we do revenge, you know, like we were fired 
you know, sometime and we just want to get revenge on people. Those are the places that we can get really stuck. Or when we start seeing like our, you know, our, our, we feel like our depression is defining who we are. Those are, those can get, we can stay more stuck there. But I don't feel even, even from that perspective, I see people move through them. Yeah. Actually speaking to that, like my own personal experience has been that the emotion of anger, for example, I, would always suppress because I thought it was morally wrong to be angry. Like you shouldn't be angry, (laughs) you know, should not be angry. And actually pretty recently, like within the the past year working with my therapist, I came to understand that it's completely okay to experience anger. And now I'm able to, if I have anger, like experience it and let it out. And it's been very profound for me, but emotions like fear or anxiety or worry, which I think so many of us with chronic health issues experience because there's this fear that, you know, what you're doing is not helping or what you're doing is hurting or what you're doing is never going to change. So that's something that I really, really struggle with. And I bet a lot of listeners do too. And it's what you just said. I feel like if I'm fearful or anxious, then like that's just perpetuating itself. And there's a massive fear of being stuck there. So that was a huge question I had. I was like, is fear or anxiety the exception to experiencing it. I'm glad you just brought up anger because anger is one of the unexpressed motion emotions that I see that are one of the biggest setbacks for people in their healing process. And so when we look at, okay, let's look at anger for a second. So there's lots of reasons why we get angry. We can be angry because of something that happened to us. A lot of people feel angry at God because they got a diagnosis but they feel so ashamed of feeling angry, which is anger is such a healthy emotion. And it can move us from one place into the next incredibly quickly. But what happens is, is then we don't, we, we don't just leave it there. We, we project it, but nobody likes an angry person, right? Those are the the things that are, we might say to ourselves, (laughs) but if I get in touch with this anger, what if I get stuck angry? What if I go into the angry room and I get locked in there and I never get to come out? What if people start thinking I'm an angry person and then I lose everything? My boss is going to fire me. My relationships are going to fall apart, you know, and then and then what about my doctor saying anger will raise my blood pressure? We start doing this thing, right, which is very normal of like we start looking at how those things are affecting us. So with the anger, I mean, it's really nice case study because like I said, I would always say I'm not an angry person. And I I actually really felt that. And I didn't really experience anger because I think I just would not allow myself to engage with it because I was like, anger's, you know, you shouldn't be angry and I'm not an angry person. And, but when I started working on it, I realized there were things that I was angry about that I didn't even realize. And what was interesting was at the beginning, the more I started allowing myself to experience it, it did become stronger. And I had that fear, like you just said, I was like, oh no, what, what if I'm becoming an angry person? But now that I've been working on it more and more, I've realized that it in and of itself is just an experience and is just an emotion and I can experience it and let it out. And I, and I don't feel like I've become a quote angry person, but what about the fear and anxiety? Because that's what I mean, I really struggle with. And I think a lot of us do. Can it also be experienced without self-perpetuating itself? I think it can. And so then we had to look at, well, okay, if I feel like I, let's say, let's just use anxiety. I feel anxious. What do I do about it? Well, one is, is you want to be practical, right? So we want to make sure that certain things are taken care of. 
like maybe you work with your naturopath and you have things that help you with your anxiety and you work on your cortisol levels and right. So we want to do practicality. The other piece though is, is that then the first question I ask my clients is, well, what's your relationship to your anxiety or what's your relationship to the you that's anxious? How is your anxiety serving you or how is it holding you back? And these are all questions that, again, we tend to start identifying ourselves from. And those are those places that can become limiting. And then we hold them as truth and we're loyal to them, right? So anxiety might make me feel like I can't hold down a job. I'll be worthless if I can't hold down a job. And so why would we ever want to, again, poke the bear? We would never want to poke the anxiety bear. And then also, there's so many messages now, especially in social media world, that subtly don't allow us to have these very human traits. And so a lot of people feel up against that, like we have to be a certain way in order to be successful, in order to feel like we're crushing it in the healing world, you know. And so we have this these added pressures now, you know, where we can't. We're really against healing being messy and it's very uncomfortable. These things are really uncomfortable. I mean, the most uncomfortable thing, Melanie, that I've ever done is be with these hard emotions that I, you know, for me, it was dread. Dread was my feeling of choice and I didn't like it and I tried to fix it my whole life. And it wasn't until nothing else worked and I had no other choice, I finally decided to be with the dread. And that finally helped me. But see, even when we look at that, when for me, it was, I had to be with the dread. I had to stop bargaining about, well, I'll be with the dread if I know that I'll get a happy relationship or the career that I want at the end of it. I had to let everything go and really vote for myself. I had to really vote for myself and say, I'm going to be with this scary, scary thing because I am worth it. And so we, we have to, we start voting for ourselves in a different way, which is, I believe my heart can hold this. I pulled out a quote from your book that I just thought was so profound. You said, healing is the journey we take to believe we are worth our own fearlessness. I just keep like rereading that over and over. It's just really incredible. But like you said, it can be terrifying to, you know, go there and see and experience those emotions. But actually, because I want to clarify a, a little bit. Does this mean that if we didn't have this identity and we were just curious, if we didn't feel unsafe in our diet and our approach, would everybody heal? <laughs> are there still other aspects to it? Because like in your book, you talk about the three parts, which are the medical, the love, and the food, like the three aspects to the loving diet. So I thought we could talk a little bit about that. Like, is it possible that a person could completely heal just based on mindset alone or are the other parts required as well? I think that the heart is the superpower, which is I feel anxious. I feel depressed. I'm going to have hard things happen to me and I'm still safe. And that's the language of the heart. The language of the mind is, is you need to try harder. Everything is broken. You know, you need to go find a plan. And so we want to use the mind to assist, but we want to use the heart as the CEO. And so this is for a lot of people, a first dive into considering this. I do see this happen. One thing to consider here though, Melanie, is that the body is not built for perfection. Only our loving is. And we don't have to do anything to our loving to make it perfect. It already is. 
So sometimes we have to undo a lot of these things that we believe about ourselves that are limited to come to an understanding of experiencing that inside of our body. But our bodies are going to continue to have things happen to them. And, and so we, we can't look to them as perfect places, but the body is the place. It's the bridge between heaven and earth. And so it's like our own little laboratory. It's like an, a living encyclopedia. And so we get to constantly build this wisdom and knowledge by, oh, I just went through a hard experience. That's interesting. What did I learn from that? Wow. So now I'm actually wanting to, now I've completely rethought my original question because I was saying, could a person quote heal based on mindset alone? But in a way, not that there's nothing to heal, but maybe it's not a matter of unhealed and healed because that would be either on or off. Like you said, the body's not built to be perfect or does not exist in a perfect state anyway. So in a way, none of us are healed and none of us are not healed. We're just experiencing different states of health. That's amazing how you said that. And so when I kind of came to what you're saying, and then I was like, okay, well, then what's next? <laughs> and the other thing was, I now I understand that there's nowhere my loving can't go inside of myself. There isn't anywhere I can't be where my own heart, my own compassion, and my own loving can't keep me safe, no matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter what diagnosis I get. And so then we, you know, and if I do get one, it's what is it here to help me understand? How is it here to uplift me? I'll give you an example of this, another one, a personal one that has happened since my book. I had a experience with my twin sister has fibroids. And anyway, so I went to, I decided to go get a pelvic ultrasound because my period started getting really irregular. And so, right, I was doing all the practical things and looking at my hormones and acupuncture and Chinese herbs. Anyway, I got an ultrasound and they called me and they're like, yeah, we found something irregular on your, on your ovary. Okay. Nobody wants something irregular on their ovary. <laughs> right. So I was like, okay. And so the first thing I did was spiritual people don't have bad things happen to them. First thing. And this is after me being a student of this. That was, that was question. That was the first thing. Second thing was like, that was the thought you had. Yep. That was a thought that I had. I'm doing something wrong. God is punishing me. And then I let myself spin out and I let myself collapse and I didn't judge myself. And then I had to go through the whole process of getting an ultrasound again. And, you know, what, what does this mean? Do I have ovarian cancer? Because that's sometimes what happens. And so what happened was, was that when this, when I got the, when I was told, I decided no matter what, I'm going to be with myself in a loving way and I'm going to fully cooperate with what's present. And I'm going to see what this means. What, what is, what's here for me? Well, the end stage of this was, was that the ultrasound came back normal, but it took like three months for me to figure that out. So for three months, it was a nail biter. But during those three months, I let myself unravel and I let myself, I trusted being with myself in all of those crazy states of emotion, the crying, the confusion, the why me, the what's happening, am I being punished? But then I did something else. I stayed very co-op. I stayed in a cooperative, cooperative state to what was happening. And I realized that this scare, this health scare would actually help me under, un uncover a deeper question, which was, I didn't know if I had true meaning in my life. And I touched the part of myself that held meaning, like deep spiritual meaning. And I was 47 years old and I hadn't done that yet. After doing all the spiritual work I've done, after writing my book, after being a student of all of this, 
It was like I had to go. I had a, a very challenging event. But what I knew was, was that there wasn't any place I couldn't go and be with myself loving. And then I was going to really be open to discovering how this was going to help me and awaken me to something. And I had a profound spiritual event, which was I was able to connect to the part of myself while being scared, while being anxious. I was able to connect with a part of myself that held deep meaning for my life. And I'd never had that experience before. And I did it through something going wrong with my body. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like 100 brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, 
You search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes, all the time, with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to melanieavalonscloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. Wow. Okay. I have a question actually to that specifically, and it ties into something I had a question about. I hope I can articulate it. For example, I was talking with a friend recently and similar to you, a lot of people, you know, often go to the worst case scenario when they hear the idea of something that might be bad. So for example, you know, with your situation, sorry, you said it was on your ovary? The lesion. They called it a lesion on my ovary. (laughs) For that example, you know, you might've gone to the worst case scenario and a lot of people, if they had that diagnosis, they might go the worst case scenario. They might be thinking about all the things that it could be. But basically I was talking with a friend the other day and we were talking about how, cause she's been getting a lot of health tests. Cause you're trying to figure out what's going on. She's having some health issues. So she's trying to figure out what's going on. And she talks about how like whenever she gets a result or basically when any data comes in regarding the health condition, she jumps to the worst case scenario, like immediately for me, I do experience quote, chronic health issues. And I'm not like her in that respect. When I get more data, I I don't typically jump to the worst case scenario. And even if it comes back and I don't like the results, I'm kind of like, well, what else can we try now? But on the flip side, and this is not health related, but if I, for example, and this is may seem silly, but if I see a, a missed call or like an email or somebody needs to talk to me, so it's, it's a marker of something. I don't know what the answer is. I actually tend to jump to the worst case scenario. Like I think, 
oh, I must've done something wrong or, oh, this is them telling. Like, I, I think when somebody is going to tell me something about like something in life or a relationship, I, I jump to the worst case scenario. So my question with all of this is, is when people have a tendency to get scared and jump to a worst case scenario about receiving some information where the answer is not yet known, does it require something having happened in your past that causes your brain to have that fear because it seems like it would be a learned response because if it had never happened before would you be scared about it like do you think with your situation was there something in your past that would make you have more fear surrounding it yeah i think you're describing the perfect scenario of two people are on a plane and the plane goes down and one person they both survive and one person gets PTSD and the other person walks away and they're fine. Yeah, yes. I, I do. I think that that, you know, we're, we're primed for these learned behaviors from childhood. And, you know, I'm definitely a worst case scenario person. And it probably has a lot to do with these learned behaviors that I had from my childhood. And so what now what I do is, is I just I'm honest with it. I just cop to it and I don't judge myself. Like, okay, I'm a worst case scenario person who, you know, I have lots of friends. <laughs> we, we, we're worst case scenario together. You know, we don't try to build it, but like, I, you know, I, I'm just that wired that way. I don't judge it. I still fully cooperate and I start looking about where are the gifts, you know, where are the gifts here for me? It's wonderful that the brain that we can rewire it. So I shouldn't even say I wish I could rewire, but I would love to have my brain rewired <laughs> If you automatically just had like a humor response to everything, like, oh, isn't, isn't that <laughs> funny or interesting? I mean, because you were talking about how we could be curious about everything. I often think, wow, if I could just reframe everything to, that's funny, <laughs> then um, nothing would scare me. Well, you bring up a, another thing too, which is how do we navigate this world? And so one thing is, is to get bigger than your trauma. And the only thing that I know that can do that is our hearts. So when we join our own loving with a trauma and a judgment, then healing happens. For listeners in the loving diet, there is a lot of meditations and practices. I think it can be hard sometimes to say, okay, what does that practically look like? Like, how do I do that? But one of the the meditations in your book, I don't know if you still practice it with clients or talk about it, but it was the one where it was talking about how to reframe I don't know if it was reframing an experience, but it was basically how to attach love to something that you, you don't love or you're fearful about. And you were talking about how you remember something that made you feel love and then you transfer it to your disease. Do you know what I'm talking about? Could you tell listeners a little bit about, I thought I was like, wow, this is a good one. <laughs> I was like, I got to do this one. I teach it in a probably more simplified version that I can tell everybody how to do this now. So if everybody is listening to this right now and you just put both of your hands out in front of you and in one hand and think about something that's bugging you or like an issue, it could be about your health or it could be about like, you know, worst case scenario, whatever it might be. So whatever the issue is, you close your eyes and you just imagine that sitting in one of your hands and it, you use your imagination to just feel the weight of it how much it plagues you, how much you think about it, how much you might ruminate on it, just the weight of how much it might occupy your life. And you just spend a second just kind of developing it and feeling it. And then in your other hand, 
So don't do anything with the hand where the issue is. Just kind of let it hang out. And now focus on your other hand. And in your other hand, I want you to imagine the best case scenario. Sometimes I think of it as the ultimate health, abundance, happiness. A lot of times I'll just see myself like dancing or singing and just complete joy. And so you really want to see that in your other hand. And sometimes I think of it as a grain of sand that has loving in it that grows to about the size of a basketball. You might think about the person you love the most in the world, you know, something that you dearly treasure. And just think about that feeling growing in your hand. And so it gets to about the size of a basketball. And then once you have both of those, I want you to notice the first hand where the issue is. And then why don't you want you to notice the second hand where the loving is, the best case scenario. And then notice what you feel in your body. And so when I do this with my clients, what has happened every time so far is that they feel a difference in their body. They feel a lightness. And you'll notice that we didn't do anything to fix, surgically remove, cure, heal the issue, the the issue, the first issue that was the, the problem. But in the other hand, we just added loving. And you can get a different response when you start playing around with that. While you're doing it, I have a feeling of all the energy of what was in the hand with like focusing on the chronic illness, like that feeling really heavy and just wanting to drop it. (laughs) And then the feeling of, like you were saying, like lightness. It's so profound how when you like let go of things that you realize that you don't even realize you're holding on to, and then you let them go. When I do experience that, I've always get this feeling of like that peace and love are the foundation, like that they were always there. (laughs) Like they were always there. I didn't have to add them in. They were always there. I just had to let go of all these other things. We get born with a toolkit that is complete in our heart. So we don't need to add to it. Nothing. It doesn't get taken away. It is a complete toolkit. And, but what happens is, is that then we start having these experiences where, again, we start thinking, oh, maybe I can't trust my loving. Maybe it's not safe to trust my loving. Maybe that's not a dependable resource. And so then we start kind of pulling away from it. But And I love what, how you're saying that because you're, you're saying that the, this, this idea that healing is more about undoing than adding. It's about undoing those limited things that we thought that we needed to believe because hard things happen to us. And that has a profound effect on our physical body. Actually, to that point, because this is a question I was going to ask you, and it relates to that, like the fear of experiencing the love. So like, for example, growing up, I always identified as a optimistic glass half full. The things I would always say was like, it's all good. And I really, I really believe that. And I was always like excited really about pretty much everything. And even if I was quote suffering, I sort of like loved suffering because it was an emotion to experience. So it was exciting. So like, for example, I had like a sad quote book of sad quotes because what better to do than, you know, linger over (laughs) feelings of sadness just because it was exciting in a way or something enlightening to experience. 
Whereas today, I probably have equal emotions, but experienced in fear and anxiety. And I would not have a, you know, anxiety quote book because (laughs) just to show how like perspective can change, but to come back to the point. So for the longest time, I would really love experiencing feelings that probably were, you know, love based. And I remember I used to think, oh, I love experiencing all this. This is so amazing. I just want to experience every moment of my life. My motto in life was I live vicariously through myself, (laughs) which I was like, that's like the mindset to have. I would have like this little fear that I was like, it can't always be like this. Like life can't always be great. What if something happens? And I didn't think that would happen. But then (laughs) I did sort of get chronic health conditions. And so now on the flip side, it's like that came true, that idea of, oh, it can't last forever loving every moment or, you know, there are hard things that won't maybe go away. So now when I experience love, and this is what I like constantly, I'm working on reframing, it's like you just said, there's this fear that it won't last or that it won't go away. And then I have a fear. I don't know if, if you've experienced this with people. There are things we can do that make us feel good. They do not last, or they might even have come down effects. So, you know, alcohol, caffeine, other types of addictions. So how is love different from that? Because sometimes now I will feel so amazing and I'll have these moments of experiencing the love, but I'm like, can it keep going or, or can you get burned out on love? Like, is it possible to just exist in a state of love or will you get burned out from that? Well, love is incredibly active and it, the, The self-compassion love that I'm talking about draws upon a well that never runs dry. And so it involves the parts of, of being in love with other people. And it involves the love that we have for humanity and the world. And it also is the resource that lasts forever that we can apply to touch to the parts inside of ourselves that hold misunderstandings or hurt. And it also can go out as a light into the world because love has a specific kind of vibration and we can both hold it inside of ourselves and broadcast it out. And so I would, I would say that it is something that is an experience inside of ourself. It comes from a place that doesn't run out and it grows in richness as we let it teach us. It does not have an expiration date in any way. And so when, when I work on this inside of myself, I work, reach one level and then I move into another one and I keep doing a different kind of curriculum. Uh, and I notice that I keep being presented. My life, lo- my life loves me so much. I keep getting presented with different and more places where I can place my own loving to clear up any misunderstandings about my divinity or my holiness. And from my perspective, that's a curriculum that is I'm dedicated to. It sounds a little bit like, because you talk in your book about the role of joy, and you're talking about how we might get upset if we realize all these places that we lost joy or we were blocking joy, when really we could reframe it as, wow, there are so many places that we could be experiencing joy. You have a magic fairy wand. And it is a direct dial and has a direct connection to your heart. And with our magic fairy wand, we, we can touch anywhere in our life with that. 
It doesn't mean that our bodies are going to change because oftentimes there's a deeper curriculum that's helping to build wisdom and awareness, but we still have our own personal magic fairy wand, which is I'm going to love myself no matter what. I'm going to, I have the ability to love myself no matter what news I have, no matter what falls apart, no matter what disappears. We all get born with that magic fairy wand. And I feel like health issues and especially issues with eating are some of the most rich places that lead us into, well, what is it for you? Like, what is it for Melanie? Because Melanie has her own unique thing she's doing and I have mine and my clients have theirs. And so then we get to be curious about what's the beautiful thing that sometimes is hard to do because it might involve suffering. What is the beautiful thing that each person gets to do? So practically like applying that, for example, I'm trying to think of what would reach the most broad audience, but I guess the audience, you can think about whatever health condition you might be experiencing. But for example, a lot of people suffer with, let's say, food sensitivities or food reactions or IBS, SIBO, things like that. So with that, like, what would you say to yourself to re-experience that as like, do you re-experience it as neutral? Do you re-experience it as something good that's happening to you? Like, what would somebody literally say? I would say in your head, but I'm actually a big fan of saying things out loud. So <laughs> maybe even say out loud to reframe that. So do you want, should we use the example of you just got a diagnosis with IBS? Sure. Yeah. Or maybe we can even use yours because you said that you had food poisoning and then it kind of open the gates to these other issues like SIBO? Because I see that a lot. I see one-off food poisonings have big consequences for a lot of people in my own practice. I see it in people I know. I, I People talk about it all the time on podcasts. And there is often an idea that there is an inciting incident with the gut microbiome that like happened. And that's what can't ever or does not ever fix itself. Well, if we looked at big picture, so you had that experience, how many years ago was it? 2014, so like six years ago. I have one client who ate a burger in Mexico, and whenever we talk, she calls it the burger incident. So Melanie, see, you had this one event, and you had, and it was incredibly painful, and it was probably confusing and scary, and it felt like you were being pushed down a mountain into an avalanche, and you didn't know what the end result was going to be. Like things started just kind of being plucked from your life, possibly, you know, in the form of I can't digest food. Everything hurts. I'm very confused. What do I eat? So there's the practical piece, which is let's do testing and see what we're actually looking at. Let's look at the microbiome. Let's put you on foods that are gentle to your system. Let's get rid of parasites. Let's deal with the gut barrier, those kinds of things. But then there's this other thing, which is Melanie, like maybe if we were your inside spiritual fan club and we got to listen in and when it said, Melanie, you're going to have this really big event and I'm so sorry, it's going to be so disruptive, but you just, you wait how you're going to serve the things, the ways you're going to touch people's hearts with how this, this event is going to open you up to, you're going to be amazed. That's actually, honestly, truly how I think about it now, because there was that quote inciting incident. (laughs) And then, you know, a lot of other things since then. 
you know, hypothyroidism, mercury poisoning, diagnosis of Lyme disease, whether or not that was true, I don't know, lots of things, anemia. I honestly, though, would not have the show or the audience or the community that is so beautiful and so profound if that hadn't all happened, because basically it just made me obsessed and researching and trying to find the answer for all these different things and really led me to now what I think is honestly most important is the whole mindset aspect of it. Honestly, I think 2014, if probably if it had just happened and I hadn't brought in like an anxiety and a fear and an obsession and a try to fix it mentality, the effects might not have stayed. (laughs) But at the same time, I can still be grateful because with each new thing came new obsessions and new research and just I've learned so much more and I've, I'm just so grateful for, you know, like where it has led, which I never would have realized. Although I still feel like I'm in the journey. (laughs) Actually to that point though, so bringing it to the actual diet and the food, because for listeners, we've talked a lot about the emotional aspect of all of this and the mindset, but there actually is a diet in the loving diet. And I think now listeners can probably understand the mindset surrounding how to implement it. But before I go into it, do you still pretty much prescribe the same thing of it's like your version of the AIP plus low FODMAP plus getting rid of resistant starch temporarily? Not often. So I very rare because since my book has come out, research has given us so much information about the microbiome. I do put people on it, but I only do it for very short periods of time, only when all the other options are exhausted. I don't often put actually people on autoimmune paleo anymore because there's so much testing that we can do that will help them not have to restrict so much. And so autoimmune paleo is like a really great guess, but now we don't have to guess as much. So I do use it. And the the loving diet is a mixture of autoimmune paleo and also with a low FODMAPs. And I do it in three different sections, you know, as far as how, how low FODMAP we want to go. And it's incredibly effective for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And it works great in conjunction with looking at your gut microbiome. So getting, getting a real great snapshot of what's going on with your digestive markers and your diversity. I recommend not doing it for very long because what we have found out is, is that sometimes restrictive diets inadvertently will start lowering diversity in the gut. And we need diversity in the gut to have good tolerant immune systems. So I tend to use this for very short periods of time because longer than that, it will start adversely affecting how tolerant people's immune systems are. What do you feel if a person is on a more restricted diet by choice and they're happy with that diet. I guess there's a fine line between knowing if you're happy because you're just happy or because you're happy because it makes you feel safe and you're scared to change it. So say a person goes on some sort of diet to address their health issues and they feel good on it. Do they need to? Some do. Some do stay on it. Yeah, I mean, you're saying the such a fantastic, important point, which is it's really an individual thing. And some people do absolutely amazing on keto or intermittent fasting. 
or on the walls protocol or even autoimmune paleo. Some people do fantastic. And I get asked this question so often. And what I say to everybody, what my clients, when they ask me that is, how do I know if this is okay? If, you know, if I, I feel happy on it, am I, is it? <laughs> and the, so the, the question to that is, is that you get to lean in and look and sense and experience, do I feel lack or do I feel abundance? when I'm on this eating plan and then trust it. Wow. That's really profound. But a lot of people on autoimmune paleo feel lack, even if they're not in touch with it. So then we have to look at this other piece, which is I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything is great. I'm, you know, I put my disease into remission and, 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 but yet when you look more deeply, there is lack pieces, which is as long as I maintain this diet a hundred percent, I'm safe. But if I cheat, then I must not have what it takes to really handle my disease. I must have a weakness. And so that comes from a lack place. So the simple thing is, is everybody now can say, do I, is it from a lack place or an abundance place? And then when, and then we can look at, you know, the different layers, because oftentimes there are places that we do diets out of lack. And this is very normal. I mean, all humans do. And some people excel. It's like when, you know, like I tell my girlfriends, everybody has a friend who can do a 30-day juice fast and crush it. (laughs) And then there's other people who are dreaming about food, complaining that they can't eat, you know, their joints hurt. And it's like, why do some people can they do juice fast? And why can't other people do juice fast? And a lot of it is, is bio-individuality and genetics and inflammatory markers. So those practical things. And then some of it is, is, you know, how we're wired for joy, how we're wired for nourishment, you know, and and looking at those things. But I work in the world of hypervigilance. And so the thing that I see the very most in autoimmune disease is hypervigilance around food and being actually becoming afraid of food because any wrong move could kill you, put you back in a wheelchair, flare you, and take away your life as you know it, right? I'm being a little extreme, but that's how hypervigilance and fear of food works when we look into the darker side of restrictive diets. That's why I developed my transformational eating class is because I see so many people with disordered eating on restrictive diets. And again, not everybody, but a certain amount of people feel incredibly emotionally dysregulated on how to take care of themselves with a chronic illness and eat in a way that will sustain them. And so the transformational eating is, again, using the harnessing, the power and the safety of our loving as a healing tool. And so we make food practical and then we start looking at how have I made food a safety measure for myself instead of keeping it practical. And that's where I see disorder eating and that hypervigilance very much a massive, massive factor in restrictive diet movements. So in that transformational program, because I assume people coming to it probably have varied histories. If they're on a restrictive diet, how long they've been on it, do you implement still some sort of restrictive diet for like a set period of time and then work on reintroducing things? How do you get out of the restrictive or the fearful mindset when it seems like when you do bring in something else, then you you feel bad? (laughs) Like, how do you move beyond that? It's individual for each person. But often the first thing 
well, let's just take an example. Hypervigilance will keep me safe. So if I'm hypervigilant about the foods that I eat, I'm not going to relapse. I'm not going to do damage to my body. And I am going to show that I really care about being invested in healing my disease. I see this so much. And people wear hypervigilance as a badge of honor. But it is exhausting. I mean, it is so exhausting. So when people come to me, the first thing we do is we look at how is hypervigilance serving you? And and so I actually use forgiveness statements and meditation and show people how to create a structure of self-compassion to help handle these things. So it might be, I forgive myself for believing that hypervigilance is going to keep me safe. I forgive myself for judging myself for believing that my hypervigilance is going to prevent me from flaring. And so th- those are the things that we look at and we and I help people develop a curriculum inside of themselves that works for them and their orientation, their spiritual orientation or just their emotional orientation, but their belief system that really works on these very deeper things that tend to come forward. Because remember our the relationship that we have to food can lead us to places where we can touch our own loving to the parts that hurt. So I see that as a fantastic gateway for people who are willing and vulnerable enough to to take a closer look. And I'm doing, so I do this with eating. I have so much fun. It's, they're small groups. It's only five people. We meet online for six weeks. You know, we, we do what we're doing here, Melanie. You know, we start talking about these things and doing meditations. I'm doing another class called Being With Your Illness. And because it, it, there's a lot of doing. There's a lot of doing out in the health world. I'm going to go do this diet. I'm going to go do this. And doing is a form of fixing. But then the other piece is, is how can we be with our circumstances? How can we be with ourselves hurting? So I'm finding that when we start working on these things, hypervigilance isn't needed anymore because what hypervigilance was the pin that held everything together to keep the safety structure going. But when people start tapping into their own heart, then hypervigilance isn't needed. And so then it just becomes part of the curriculum of, oh my goodness, now I have a deeper experience in my body of using my loving to keep me safe rather than my hypervigilance. So incredible. And with the the classes and everything, is it you do these conversations, this this meditation, this work, this reframing? And then is there also practices that you use when you're actually eating? Is it reframing just in general the idea of eating or are there like specific things that people implement when they're actually eating? Or is that like almost a problem because that could be its own tool to stay safe rather than experiencing the loving? It varies from person to person, but in the groups that I run, some people are on Wall's protocol. Some people do low FODMAPs, you know, for their IBD. Some people just developed an eating disorder from going from diet to diet to diet. You know, so it just, it varies from person to person. But what it, what it means is, is, is that we, we develop a structure inside of yourself that will follow you no matter how you decide to eat. And so then we, and so then we just remain curious. Oh, okay. So I do feel like I'm going to, I want, maybe someone says, Oh, I do feel like I want to do a juice fast. You check in. Do I, am I doing it from lack or abundance? 
So you, you know, you keep checking in and staying curious in that student mind and you gather information um, and then you try it out. And so then what happens is, is people feel more of a freedom where, oh, actually it matters less about what diet I'm doing. What matters more to me is me loving myself and no matter what I'm doing. So basically everything is okay. Like it's okay to do these different diets if they're coming from a place of love and abundance and not fear and lack. Yeah, that not only are you okay, but your your personal divinity has always been intact. And no matter what diagnosis, what diet, what trauma, what experience you have, it never is in question. Do you think the body on a cellular level genetically, epigenetically holds on to responses to food though? And if so, do you think it can change? Like how fast could it change? Can it change? Well, like I have a, are you talking about like, I'm like, I have a sensitivity to eggs. Yeah. I guess I should be more specific because it could, yeah. Cause there's a lot of layers and levels of sensitivities. No, it does change. I would say 80% of all my clients are women who have been diagnosed with something and they are down to 15 foods. My immediate goal is to help them with the exhaustion. I mean, exhaustion that they're feeling to maintain eating 15 foods, the sorrow and the grief from feeling like they can't go socialize, that they thought that, you know, well, you know, over time, why did I lose so many foods while I was trying to fix my illness that, you know, feeling scared and confused and a little bit betrayed often by their diet? Yes, they do get more foods. And I find that when we start working on things, for instance, like food is scary or food, there's good, bad foods, or I need to be hyper vigilant. When we work on those things, absolutely, they tolerate more foods. And that was the reason why I started doing this work was because nothing else was working. You know, I could only go so far with the microbiome restoration. To that point, are you familiar with the work of Wim Hof? Yes. So he, for listeners, he's actually coming on the podcast soon. I'm so excited. He does a lot of work with cold therapy and meditation for everything like health mindset. But one of the most fascinating studies that sticks with me to this day was, I'm going to say this in like, the people who understand what I'm saying, you're, you're my people. I often say that the bane of my existence is LPS, lipopolysaccharide, the, uh, which is like the endotoxins created from bacteria. Basically, our body registers it as very toxic. That's what like when people get septis, for example. In general, like a quote, normal body <laughs> responds to LPS as, you know, a toxin and not a good thing. They've done work with his breath work and his cold exposure and his meditation techniques. And they actually found and participants, they put L, they infused them with LPS. So with this very toxic signal, the people who are practicing his work, their body's stress response was actually, I can put a link in the show notes to both the study and the blog post I did about it. But basically the body's response to it because either way, the body had a response to, you know, get rid of it and attack it. But the people practicing his method, it was marked by less inflammatory biomarkers. So basically, 
this is reacting to an actual toxin in the body. Basically, they were able to not have an inflammatory, you know, health detrimental response. Their body just dealt with it in the quote, a healthy way. And I feel like that the reason I'm bringing all that up is I feel like, especially with like autoimmune conditions, there's this idea or with food sensitivities that, you know, we're taking in something which oftentimes isn't even a toxin like LPS would be, but one person, their body has a autoimmune type response or a negative reaction. Another person doesn't, we could say, oh, that's, you know, that's in our genes or we're destined to that. But I think just like with his work, for example, clearly our mindset can actually change how our body responds on a cellular level to these things. I just loved reading that because that was like a scientific, you know, exploration of mindset and how it affects our body's response to, like I said, in that case, an actual toxin, but I feel like it could apply to food as well. Well, doing breath work is amazing because it pull, it's, it, we're very present when we do breath work. And so Wim Hof's work is amazing because it also helps us do this deeper thing, which is it's not what happened to us. It's the relationship that we have. And breath work helps bring that to the surface so that we can examine it. And so again, that comes up. So I'll give you one example of a client that I worked with who has long standing SIBO, like SIBO that isn't being touched by much. And she's been trying to work on her SIBO for a long time and has disordered eating. And I worked with her for a while and it came down to, she thought that her goodness was up for grabs. Like she didn't believe she was a good person when everything was said and done and that she had to prove her goodness because of what had happened in her upbringing. And when she came to understand that her goodness was intact and never had been, nothing had ever happened to it and she didn't have to try to fix her goodness, her SIBO drastically improved, drastically, and as did her disordered eating. That's incredible. Yeah, that's how this stuff works. But like, who would have thought goodness, SIBO, you know, and for one person, it might be goodness. And for another person, it might be trust, like it's not safe to trust, you know, so we can't say that when we start going after these things, that there's one thing. But what it is, is it's where there's a misunderstanding about who we are and our inherent goodness in some way, where we hold those misunderstandings helps bring us back into center, lines us up energetically. Breathwork does that too, but helps us when we are brave to and fearless to look at these things in a loving way and be with them and not judge ourselves. then it heals. And that's that whole, I'm going to touch my own loving with the trauma and the judgment and then healing happens. And so that woman with the SIBO is an example of that. I feel like there are often stories about people who can't lose weight or they just can't lose weight and then they find some trauma or something they didn't realize was playing a role. And then all of a sudden they lose the weight. I don't know. Have you seen that personally with anybody you've worked with? Absolutely. I've seen that quite a bit. Or it might come to when they start doing this kind of work where they start looking you know, poking the bear. Sorry, Vivi used that a couple of times. But when they start doing that, then 
It might come as weight loss or a dramatic healing, but it might also come from because their reference point changes and their consciousness kinds of expands around that curriculum. It comes in as like this new modality that they'd never heard of. I talk about that in the book a little bit of like, oh, I, oh my gosh, my friend just told me about like bioresonance healing or what you were mentioning with that sound or vibrational healing that, oh, I, I had never heard of that before. I think I'm going to try it. it kind of resonates with me. And then they do and it works. So that's why I'll also tell my students and clients is be open to how the world shows up differently. Because once you let go of the way you think it should be, and you're vulnerable to it better, it being better than you could possibly imagine, the universe matches you with that thinking. So once you believe it can be better than you ever thought possible, that means you got to let go of what it's going to look like. And then you let the universe come in and help. Actually, to that point, like we were both talking about like the sound wave therapy, I have all these different quote biohacking things that I use to enhance my life, you know, red light therapy, sauna, blue light blocking glasses, the sound wave therapy, meditation, like all these different things. Part of me often wonders, oh, does that mean that I require these? I guess it's like the mindset of, oh, I have to have these to be okay. Whereas if I I could have a completely different mindset where these things just, you know, bring further goodness and further good things to my life and they are okay. I guess I see like my future self where I have all the things and I'm just excited about them and I don't feel like I need them at the same time. Just something I struggle with. That's amazing. I mean, I actually do the meeting your future self with my students and, you know, because there's a resonance on our timeline, there is a part of ourself that already has this all worked out and we can start connecting with that place and start experiencing what it feels like in our body to connect with the part of ourself that has it already worked out. Hi friends, I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels. And I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've 
heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me. Oh my goodness, friends. I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it. And it lasts for 14 hours. And it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And they look pretty awesome with my outfits. Not going to lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you want to boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. Hi friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold 
contamination. David's been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof coffee. And it is called Danger Coffee. And friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit but sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits the longest-lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight. It's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the US is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines, one of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. 
I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. That's one of the biggest things I think about and struggle with is sometimes I feel like it's all actually fine. Like, like everything is all worked out. And so the fact that I still feel like I need to be working it out must mean it is clearly me keeping me here, which I guess it is, which seems like that's the biggest obstacle. Like if the answer were outside of me and were all of these things, it would be working. (laughs) So the fact that it's not or not moving as fast as I would like it to be, or I feel like I have setbacks, reiterates this idea that I am fearful of that just shows that clearly it's me that is not allowing change to happen or not accepting the fact that there actually maybe isn't anything to change. I don't know if other people experience that as well, but like, how would you reframe the fear of it's your doing that's keeping you in this state? Well, you can have a constant check-in with yourself to see like, is, am I, am I deciding this because of a place of lack? But for you, as you were talking, there's a part of it, which is, you know, I think you said like, you know, work, working this out where there's a draw, like Melanie's spirit, Melanie's curriculum. I mean, we could say spiritual curriculum, but it's like, you're just your life curriculum. There's an engagement that your circumstances are keeping you astute to and and see part of it might be that the way that your message gets broadcast and touches people's hearts and it's like the world's not done with you doing that yet and so we look at it as oh if i were only healed it would look like this but then there's this other piece which is your contributions to the world are shifting of a, a viewpoint that's ready to be shifted and so by me having these little cleanup things in my body, that keeps you engaged in doing that curriculum and serving that, serving a, a shift of a vast viewpoint that's ready to get shifted. Does that make sense? It does. It does. It was also making me think, and this actually, because, you know, we're experiencing the whole coronavirus situation right now and the pandemic and everything. And I remember when it first started, it has not created any fear in me. And I don't take it lightly. Like I I, I do the mask. I, I think it's a very drastic, not good situation. So I don't take it lightly, but it actually doesn't scare me at all. And I think that's because I've been living for so long in a place of anxiety and uncertainty surrounding health, for example, that something like that doesn't even phase me. I was interviewing Dr. Will Cole, who wrote Ketotarian, but his most recent book is The Inflammation Spectrum, all about autoimmune disease. And he was saying that with his patients, it made me so happy to hear this. I was like, oh, it's not just me, because he he also works primarily with people with autoimmune diseases. And he was saying that when coronavirus started, it didn't phase most of them. Like they they weren't any more scared by it. And it was because like we've been with bigger fish. When you've been dealing with the uncertainty of things like that, you are, I think that's what I'm grateful for is I've become so equipped with all these tools that I talk about on this podcast 
all the time, you know, meditation and, you know, a moon boosting support and all of these different things that when something like that happens, because people are like, what should I do? Like, how should I support my immune system? And I'm like, just keep doing all the things I've been talking about this whole time. Like nothing really changes. So one of the things I'm grateful for, and I can't say it right now that it's true because I do still experience fear and anxiety surrounding my personal health problems, but I am so grateful in advance for when I have like, I don't want to say lost, but don't have that identity of fear and anxiety surrounding it because I promise you, I can say this from the bottom of my heart. I don't think I will ever be scared of anything ever again. Um, <laughs> and maybe that seems like hyper hyperbole, but I think there's something to that for people who are struggling with fear and anxiety surrounding their health, their diet, whatever it may be. One of the reframes I do is it has made other things that could have bothered me. They don't bother me anymore in comparison. And so I'm excited to, you know, reach this state where I can just experience everything. And I don't want to say not be bothered, but I think it's possible putting it out there. (laughs) In that idea of, you know, we don't need to add anything to ourselves for the healing and, you know, to discover these things as well. You know, we're going through a big process right now on the planet to do that. And for some people, it's going to be in different areas. You know, I mean, I had my COVID supplement box done, you know, by mid-February. Because for me, it was like, I feel good. I feel less anxious when I know that, you know, if I get sick, that I have my supplements that I'm going to take. You know, so things like that, where I just started to get behind what works for me and, and not feel like I needed to make excuses for it. You know, I feel like that's a really important step that we can eat and it's going to look different for everybody. The first thing I said to, because my family was texting about the coronavirus when it first happened. And one of the first things I thought was, it actually made me grateful for my immune system. Because I feel like, I think a lot of people with who identify with autoimmune conditions, they feel like their body is just reacting to everything all the time and just like freaking out. And it's like, can we just please calm down? But I was thinking, I actually feel like I have a pretty robust immune system. It's just a little bit overreactive. So I'm grateful for it. And with things like viruses and things we might encounter, I actually feel trustful of my immune system to, you know, be ready for it even if it means in the process it's reacting to other things. When it comes back to that, it's everything is here to awaken us to something. So our own illnesses, this illness that's on the planet, the viruses that we naturally you know, have in our body, everything is here to awaken us to something. What is it? And it's different for each person. It's a different curriculum. But when we stay open-hearted and non-judgmental about what it is here to awaken us. It doesn't mean it's going to be, you know, roses and rainbows. Because when we get awoken to something, oftentimes it's a grueling process to let go of what we thought was true, to let go of the identity that we held as true that we've outgrown. So, but that, that kind of questioning is, that's the very first thing that I did when COVID hit was like, wow, I wonder what this is awakening humanity to. And, you know, it's that, that thing, I, there's a lot, lot of disagreement about COVID on the planet. But the one thing I think everybody can agree on is there's a lot that's happened since it's hit, 
hit the the airwaves of humanity. And so it's different for everybody, but that's a, that's a fruitful yield to keep asking that. Yeah. I know so many people are saying, when are things going to go back to normal or go back to the way they were when I think it's a really, really valuable opportunity for humanity right now to evaluate what wasn't working and what is important to you and what you do appreciate. It's a huge opportunity to come out of the pandemic much more stronger and full of gratitude and appreciation and so many good things than we were before. So do you mind if I ask you some really quick, just rapid fire questions that are super random? Because I know we're running on time. I'm just dying to know because in your book, you talk about certain supplements and things that are often particularly healing for people with like gut issues and, and things like that. When it comes to a healing diet, the dream version of me is like, I just want to eat real food and <laughs> never have to take a supplement again. Is it okay to use supplements and are they sometimes required for moving forward towards wholeness? Yes. I think for each person, it's different. So some people are on like 30 or 40 supplements when they come see me and I try to pare it down. But yes, I, you know, it's a, I feel like there's so many amazing things that have come out, especially in the last five or six years that really, really help with the gut mucosa and also with increasing the secretory IgA, the gut mucosa. I tend to use what I call pre pre prebiotics and also prebiotics and probiotics as well. What are pre prebiotics? Pre-prebiotics are people, for instance, with SIBO who need diversity but can't tolerate prebiotics and tends to be a group of polyphenols that I use, like food substances that are rich in polyphenols that I use to help kind of start. It's like easy compost. I call it easy compost for the microbiome garden. So mostly polyphenols. Are you a fan of butyrate still? I'm just curious because I keep seeing that popping up. Yeah. Yep. I do like butyrate. Butyrate enemas are really good too. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Sorry, I like enemas. Okay, <laughs> no, TMI. I do practice enemas and I have butyrate now. So this is a really exciting idea. And then, oh, actually, I like one of the supplements I was thinking of that I think actually is a good example of a materialization of the idea we were talking about at the beginning about engaging in a diet out of fear rather than, you know, abundance. I think like digestive enzymes, like for example, I mean, they're so helpful for me as is like HCL, but I do struggle with the mindset of feeling like, oh, you know, I can't digest without them in a way. That's something I struggle with. And I think a lot of listeners might struggle with. I love Houston enzymes. I think that they have a really great line, you know, and thank you for saying that too, about the fear or the abundance, because Think about when everybody takes their supplements. So listeners who do that every day, when you take your supplements, caretaking for your body, are you caretaking out of a lack place or an abundance place, or maybe a little bit of both, you know, but that, oh, that's interesting. I never thought of that before. Let me, let me be curious and you know, what, where is my lack or where is my abundance? Because supplements from my perspective work better. When you look at that, you know, when you're, when you're doing your healthcare plan from abundance, they work better. Oh my goodness. The epiphanies I am having right now. Okay. Because 
Because <laughs> I, I go through my laundry list of supplements that I take. And I can tell you for each one, whether it's coming from a place of abundance or fear, I mean, hands down, or abundance or lack. The thing is, I think I want to, you know, keep a lot of them, but I think I could change the mindset surrounding them. Like there's no reason if I'm taking all of them for whatever reason may be, there's no reason I couldn't have a, a mindset of abundance for each one of them. A specific example, like the ones that are coming from a place of abundance, not lack are things like quercetin and some polyphenols and vitamin K and vitamin D and glutamine. I'm on the fence about <laughs> that's like on the in-between, but things like digestive enzymes, HCL, few other ones. I, I feel like that's actually coming from a place of lack because I feel like I, I feel like I have to take it. Otherwise, you know, things are just going to go sour. Okay. When I eat next time, I'm going to be like thinking about this and how I can reframe it. Really, really random specific one. Cause you mentioned Ignatia. I don't know how you say it. Ignatia. Yeah. Ignatia. I never heard of it. And it was a very specific, like you had a section on it. What is it? Do you still like it? So Ignatia it's uh, Ignatia is a classic homeopathic remedy for grief. And for me, it was really instrumental in helping me integrate grief in my physical body. It works really well for people who it's appropriate for. So what I would say is, is if you're experiencing grief somewhere in your health journey and you feel like it might be thwarting or slowing you down, talk to your doctor, talk to your alternative doctor. You know, you don't ha- you only need to take it once. I only took it once and it was really profound for me helping to energetically align with grief so that I could keep going. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about it. I had not ever heard of it and it seemed to really have a powerful effect. Like you experienced a lot with it and you said in your patience. So I, I had to ask you about it. And then one more last random question. So for example, I developed an iTunes app. It's actually a top iTunes app in the food and drink category. It looks at over 300 foods and it has their general levels of 11 potentially problematic compounds for people. So it has FODMAPs, lectins, gluten, oxalates, nightshades. I mean, it has 11 different things because I create it as a tool for myself because I mean, I probably definitely created it out of a place of fear, Um, (laughs) but just, and frustration and exhaustion of always having to look up a food, like what, you know, creating cross-references and like what food is low in this and is it high in this and all these things. So admittedly, I probably created it not out of a sense of abundance, but having it now as a tool, it does help me a lot though. And it helps a lot of people who have it. So like using that, for example, how would you approach that from a place of abundance and not lack? Like, is it okay to use tools like that? Like guides, like looking up a food to see what compounds it may be low me or Well, first, that's so cool that you created that. Like what, that it's all in one place. <laughs> like I'm like, oh, you're sitting here describing it. And it's like, I'm going to recommend it to this client. Yeah. Nobody had done it yet. And I was shocked. I was like, why is all this information not in one place? <laughs> Absolutely. And so tools are fantastic, practical, embrace the practicality of using those tools to help make our life easier, to streamline things, to help us get from one place to the next in our healing journey. You know, it helps take the the rigors of, you know, that deep thinking and having to research. Those are all really amazing practical steps that we can take that I fully embrace 
with myself and all my clients. And it's one of those things too, where each time we take a step, we want to ask ourselves, are we, is it practical or am I doing it to stay safe? And, or if I am doing it because I know that when I eat nightshades, I really don't feel well. That's like, that's a step of practicality. So I'm not going to eat nightshades because it makes my joints hurt. That's amazing practicality. Stay engaged, stay present, and then use the safety piece for the part of yourself that's made for it, that's custom made, that's fully prepared, that's never disconnected, that draws from the well that never runs out, which is the the loving in your heart. I love that. Yeah, for listeners, it's called Food Sense Guide. It's at melanieavalon.com slash food sense guide. But I don't say it's funny, but people will often post in my groups or ask me questions about these different diets. And I'm like, well, I created this app that has all the information in it. But every time I recommend it, it feels ironic. Every time I recommend it, I almost feel bad because I'm like, oh, I hope I hope this isn't perpetuating a restrictive behavior or a fear mindset. Like it's meant to be a tool, but I do worry that it might be perpetuating that in some people. I mean, I, I still have food sensitivities. You know, I'm still deeply engaged with, you know, my foods. You know, I had a bout, I tried to, I went, I was overzealous and I tried to heal my candida and I, I got the worst case of gastritis that I'm still repairing. Right. So, you know, there's the humanness of our journey is one that is like, keeps us, it keeps us engaged and there's no end point. You know, we never reach a destination. I'm always trying to learn and grow and from that perspective, I, I, that I'm thankful that you created something that makes people's lives easier in that regard. Wow. And that just, I guess that really speaks to, I'm just thinking again now, why it makes so much sense, why forgiveness is such a, a big part. Because like, for example, in your situation with trying to get rid of the candida and then the gastritis, it's like we get fearful that we're making it worse or that we did something wrong to ourselves I can see now why forgiveness is so important because I don't think you could move beyond that until you forgive yourself. My teacher told me something about 17 years ago, which has it has served me well, which is anytime that we have judged something good or judged something bad, we've moved away from God. And so for me, it's like, oh, I'm going to be a good nutritionist. I'm going to eat. I'm going to be a good person and eat a good diet. That's a path of exhaustion. I'm just letting that sink in. I'm just thinking about that. Wow. This has been absolutely incredible. The last question I actually ask every single guest on this show, and it's just because, like I said, I have realized how important mindset is for everything. So what is something that you're grateful for? I am really grateful that I was able to pay attention to the places that hurt enough so that I could love them. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. I am so grateful for your work. I think it's, I don't want to use this word because it sounds cheesy, but I really think it's like a game changer for so many things. It's just profound. The book I read, Loving Diet, was incredible. How can listeners best follow your work if they want to take the classes that you were speaking of? What links and such would you like to put out there? Well, I have my website. So my website's jessicaflanagan.com. 
I'm on Instagram as The Loving Diet. So that's a great resource. You can, you know, message me there or through my website. I also run a really cool private Facebook group called Beyond AIP that's really active and full of resources and support for people who do autoimmune paleo but kind of want a bigger version of life. So I think those are the best ways to contact me. They can always contact me through email too. That's info at AIPlifestyle.com. That is wonderful. For listeners, I'll put all that information, all the links in the show notes. And again, the show notes will be at melanieavalon.com slash loving diet. Thank you again, Jessica. This was this is incredible. I want I want to air it like tomorrow. I can't wait for I can't wait for everybody to listen. And just thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for the voice that you have for being so generous and kind. I had a great time and I loved being here. So thank you. I did too. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.